I'd like to welcome everyone to the Florence Weinberg Show. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, the author of 16 books and counting. And I just told her off mic that uh, she's the most underrated author uh, I know of. And, uh, and I'm not just talking about uh, locally now or currently, uh, but historically. And she's terrific. There's a documentary on her. Um, she is, uh, again, uh, working on the 17th book, which is her memoir, which I think is going to trump them all. Um, she just tremendous each and every week. She is our host here for radio and podcast. Absolutely thrilled to introduce once again our host, Dr. Florence Byham Weinberg. Doc, how are you? I am gasping for breath. I've had so much uh, happening in in the last week um, that uh, I, I celebrated my birthday by hosting a party with somewhere between 50 and 75 people in my house. Wow. Uh, and uh, then I spent two or three days trying to find the things that I had squirreled away so uh, the surfaces would be available for food and drink. Uh, and, and, then, and I had several other duties uh, at the same time, so... Uh, I've been running like crazy, uh, including some visits from uh, unexpected friends and phone calls and all the rest of that that happens at one's 90th birthday. (laughs) So anyway, I am a little breathless, but I'm here. Yeah, well, that's all good stuff when you get uh, unexpected phone calls from people you haven't spoken to and unexpected dinners. It's a great thing, and uh, it's, uh, it's nice to talk to a 90-year-old who looks like a 50-year-old or a 60-year-old and uh, and who thinks uh, even younger than that. So um, congrats on all of that. What's on your mind lately? Well, there an article came out in the Express News, which is our San Antonio premier newspaper, which is a pretty good newspaper, uh, by a local author, and uh, he was commenting on a PBS documentary on Uvalde, which was the mass shooting in Robb Elementary School uh, in that town um, in uh, 2022. Uh, but it has stayed in everybody's mind. Uh, and so I'm going to go into gun laws in Texas in general and what has been happening in the way of mass shootings in general. And then I will go to the article about the uh, the documentary on Uvalde. So, yeah, very good. Very good. It's a, a disturbing subject, but it's it's got to be talked about. Yes, uh, it, something needs to be done about it and nothing is. Uh, progress on that quarter has been totally blocked and and will continue to be blocked if uh, certain Donald Trump is reelected but we won't talk about that right that's a subject for uh, for for another time uh, but this you know kind of connects a little bit and your governor your governor uh, had, um, such a role in the aftermath of Evaldi, and uh, uh, well, g- give us a little, give us a little rundown on on what the documentary has and doesn't have in it. Uh, well, what I'm going to do uh, is to start talking about uh, Texas gun laws. Um, some progress has been made there, 
uh, they've recently been revised and have raised the age for owning a gun, and I mean an, an AR-15 or an AK-47, from 18 to 21. Uh, after all, you have to be 21 here in Texas to buy a beer. Perhaps, <laughs> <laughs> perhaps owning a gun is equally serious yeah. here in Texas. <laughs> our, our Republican legislature uh, didn't uh, retract our open carry policy, however, because any gun owner may still uh, carry the weapon openly in any public place but it needs to be in a holster and not deliberately shown to intimidate other people. Uh, some public places are exempt from guns, uh, either open or concealed. Churches are supposed to be, uh, but churches have been shot up with uh, many of uh, the, much of the congregation uh, assassinated. Uh, amusement parks are not supposed to uh, uh, allow guns hospitals, and uh, businesses that have applied for exemptions from open carry. Schools, however, are not on the list, nor are games like baseball, tennis, basketball, and football, where there's a nice crowd uh, awaiting, just waiting there to be shot. And, but, however, racetracks are exempt. Uh, gunshots, after all, might frighten horses, and that could cause problems. A week ago, there was a mass shooting that got almost no national attention, perhaps because such shootings in Texas are so common as to be old hat to national media. The winning mass shooting of the day was the University of Nevada shooting in Las Vegas. Uh, this time, a university professor uh, from another school was the perp, gunning down fellow faculty members for uh, that he he, re he resented. Uh, however, in San Antonio, our our headlines centered on a local job. A shooter had killed two people here and then had driven to Austin, where he killed four more, wounding a cyclist and two policemen in addition. Apparently, the young man uh, is uh, Shane. James, 34, and the two people who were initially shot were his parents. Uh, the two policemen and the cyclist fortunately survived. I believe uh, there has been still another mass shooting in the last few days in Maine. The deadly plague has thus manifested itself in the far west, in Texas, which is near the middle of the country, and uh, in our far east, uh, and it's a, almost a daily occurrence, if not a daily occurrence. It has become so commonplace that people, people simply shake their heads and go on about their business. They give it a thought, perhaps, but hardly pause for a prayer. And yet, one of these mass shootings remains in the public con consciousness as a particularly hideous one. A PBS documentary has been devoted to it, to which, uh, and I haven't seen it, unfortunately, but I have read a half-page opinion piece on it that appeared last Sunday in the Express News, our local paper, written by a commentator, one of our own here, uh, Gilbert Garcia. His title reflects one 
important reason why that particular shooting remains in mind as we wonder why 116 police officers who had gathered at the site, uh, which is Robb Elementary School, waited 77 minutes before confronting the shooter. Garcia's title, the title of his uh, opinion piece, gives a provisional answer. And the title is, From the Chaos of Uvalde, Role of Human Fear Emerges. Garcia's opinion piece begins with the words, From the beginning, there was confusion. And he goes on to illustrate. The 911 caller from Robb Elementary School reported a startling incident. A pickup driven at high speed crashed into a ditch right behind the school, and two bystanders who went to help were fired at. They, they fortunately fled uninjured. The police who responded to the call were prepared to deal with road rage, not a mass shooting that would take the lives of 19 children and two teachers. Commentator Garcia's information comes from a B PBS uh, frontline documentary with title Inside the Uvalde Response, produced in collaboration with ProPublica and the Texas Tribune, which is uh, Houston's main newspaper. <coughs> Much information was gleaned from interviews with officers who were at the scene during the 77-minute lag before anyone took any action. When the police heard the last few shots of the 100 rounds fired from the AR-15 style rifle, they thought the truck driver, uh, a teenager, 18 years old, and at the time had, who had uh, legally bought that, that uh, firearm, uh, they thought the truck driver had holed up in a classroom to hide from the police after the accident. The teachers and students who were not dead had hidden and remained deathly silent, or they were lying on the floor being deathly silent. So the police, who had entered the school's hallways, concluded there was nobody in the classroom beside the gunman. One of the officers, named Sergeant Ronald Page, said, it was so quiet after the shots were fired, you could, liberal, you could literally hear yourself breathing. So, they proceeded as if the shoot shooter was a barricaded suspect. Also, of the 116 officers gathered at the scene, 76 of them had had no active shooter training or had only had one session. Also, communication between local and state officers was poor, and no one was in command of the response. Early in the waiting period, two officers approached the gunman's location uh, from an adjoining classroom. Uh, the gunman fired through the door, grazing two of the, the officers, and all of them retreated. They knew entering the classroom would mean death, so they concluded that no one else was in the room with the shooter. Uvalde Police Detective Louis uh, Landry Jr. said they, and I'm quoting him, they real, uh, we realized we weren't equipped to make entry into that room without several casualties. Unquote. No one wants to be first. Gilbert Garcia concludes 
his reaction to the documentary by emphasizing the element of fear in the inaction of the 116 police who stood in the hallways or strode up and down it for over an hour while students and teachers bled out inside that classroom. It was the Border Patrol agent, not a local policeman, who had the guts to open that door and kill the gunman, but too late for many who could have been saved. So far, we have learned a few new details about incidents during that hideous sequence. One additional detail, a teacher was seen exiting the building before the shooting and re-entering by the back door, which was left unlocked. The shooter entered by that same door. The teacher, uh, who was female, was blamed at first, but it was soon determined that the lock was broken and could not be fastened, thus absolving a guiltless woman of bearing the blame for all those deaths. My main question is this. Why didn't the documentary or the Garcia comment on the 9-11 call received um, why didn't the, uh, the documentary of Garcia comment on the 9-11 call received from within room 112 during those 77 minutes of agonizing inaction? This is what I gleaned from an early report on the subject. Uh, it was uh, printed in, uh, in May, still May uh, 2022, so right after the, uh, the mass shooting. The report is brief, so I'm going to read the bulk of it. It's far more dramatic than anything I could write, and its title is Please Hurry, 10-Year-Old's Courageous 911 Call, the Day of the Uvalde Shooting. And here goes this article, and I'm reading the whole thing, or the bulk of it anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 30 minutes into the deadly siege on her classroom in South Texas, a 20-year-old student did something extraordinary. She picked up a phone. Uvalde County 911 was how the call started. There's a school shooting at Rob Elementary School, said the hushed voice of the little girl. Can you tell me your name? The dispatcher asked. Chloe, she whispered. From deep inside the siege that would end in the deaths of 19 children and two of their teachers, fourth grade grader Corey Torres, terrified that the gunman might hear her, kept law enforcement advised of what was happening during a series of phone calls. Her repeated pleas for help, repeated notice, spanned uh, 40, 46 minutes as officers collected in the hallway outside classroom 112, but did not attempt to end the, the attack. Please hurry, there's a lot of dead bodies, Chloe said. Please, I'm going to die. The audio of Chloe's interaction with the police oper operator obtained and reviewed by ABC News are part of thousands of pieces of digital and documentary evidence collected by investigators. I was very proud of my daughter during that call, her father, Ruben Torres, said. And when I heard her voice, you know, shedding tears had already happened for me. And it was like 40, 46 effing minutes and you guys did nothing. Wow. 
Critics say the information 10-year-old Corey conveyed to a 911 operator should have given officers the knowledge they needed to confront the shooter and end the siege sooner. Twelve minutes after her initial 911 call, Corey remained on the line with the police operator. Please help. Please. My teacher is about to die, she said. Please hurry. Send an ambulance right away. That should have immediately signaled a different course of action, said Eva Guzman, a former state Supreme Court judge who served on a special committee of the Texas legislature that investigated the Rob shooting. But questions remain about whether dispatchers were able to convey Chloe's information to the officers making decisions on the scene in the building. Radios and cellular systems were too weak inside the school crippling the lines of communication. The idea that someone so young would know to get on a cell phone and call 911, but maintain that line, an open line, and report information that was helpful. It would have been very helpful, put, put, put it that way, said Colonel Steve McGraw, director of the Texas Department of Public Safety that is running the criminal investigation. It is not clear whether Chloe's information made its way to Pete Arrimondo, then chief of Uvalde School District Police Force, and the officer making many of the key decisions that day. Arredondo has denied that he was on the scene he was the on scene commander and defended his actions. Uh, there's another addition here. Uh, this is another quote. The, that information should have been taken by the call taker, should have been immediately relayed to the uh, incident commander, who should have used that information to understand that this was still an active shooter event, said John Cohen, an ABC News contributor, veteran law enforcement official, and an expert in active shooter, shooter response. Evidence collected by investigators suggests that the city's top police officer on site, Lieutenant Mariano Pargas, was aware from Chloe's calls that children remained trapped alive inside the classroom. The calls you, you got in from, uh, from, the, from one of the students, Pargas, asked a dispatcher, what did they say? Okay, Chloe's going to be it's Chloe, the dispatcher replied. She's in room 112. Mariano, 112. So how many are still alive, Pargus asked. Eight to nine are still alive, the dispatcher said. She's not too sure how many are actually deceased or possibly injured. We're trying, and then it tails off. Okay, okay, thanks, Pargus said. Argus would later tell investigators that he couldn't recall those details. Of course, he was he needed to say that to uh, um, to claim that he was uh, ignorant, he, that he couldn't take action, et cetera, et cetera, that he didn't even hear about it. Over the course of her, I continue to read now. Over the course of her 46-minute dialogue with a 911 operator, Chloe stayed calm at one point telling the 911 operator, 
I know how to handle these situations. My dad taught me when I was a little girl. Wow. Her father, a former Marine, said he worked hard to make sure Chloe and her siblings knew how to handle life and death emergencies in an age of mass casualty attacks and exploding gun violence. Ruben Torres said he was so proud that Chloe that uh, so proud that Chloe that they at Rob had the presence of mind to wipe blood on herself to make it look like she was shot. We had spoken about things like this happening around our nation, gave them scenarios, what they would do, things of that nature, he explained. I find it amazing that my my 10-year-old at that time thought about that. Chloe continued offering crucial information that critics say should have prompted police action. Send help for my teachers, she told the dispatcher. They are still alive, but they're shot. Dora Mendoza, a Republican, the, the uh, grandmother of Ameri, uh, Ameri Jo Garza, who died in the mass shooting, mourns uh, at a makeshift memorial outside Uvalde County Courthouse in Uvalde, Texas, on May 26, 2022. She also served as conduit for other survivors in the classroom, conveying the police oper operator's orders to those nearby. They're inside the building. You must, you just need to take to stay quiet, okay, the dispatcher said. On the other line, Chloe is heard whispering, they are inside the building, just need to stay quiet. So she was repeating the orders. Finally, 46 minutes after Chloe Torres placed her first 911 call, officers from a U.S. Border Patrol tactical unit entered the classroom, shot the gunman and ended the rampage. Chloe and nine other classmates from room 112 survived. And now nine months later, Chloe is, uh, okay, my, my uh, information on the time of this article's publication was wrong. So nine, nine months after the shooting. Uh, Chloe is um, in counseling, but has not yet returned to school. Her father said her road to recovery has been a struggle. She does have survivor's guilt, Ruben Torres said. I hate to say it, but she really she really don't care anymore about doing the little things that she used to do, you know. She just wants to be stuck at home. And that concludes the article. And given the, this report, uh, the excuse that simple human terror kept the, the 116 officers from acting is, for me at least, a flimsy excuse. So is confusion over what was really happening in the classroom. For me, the mystery remains. What could be an adequate explanation or excuse for waiting an hour and 17 minutes before... Uh, attempting to open the door of room 112 and deal with the monst monstrosity that was inside. Yeah. And I'll open the floor to you, Frank, for commentary. Well, it's it's unfortunate for everyone that Chloe's father didn't train those police that performed uh, yeah. so poorly. 
because yes, yes. But I mean, the the illogic of what they did is so blatant; it, I, it just blows my mind. Yeah, it just doesn't and make any the sense. The dispatcher yeah. could yeah. have sent somebody uh, to go in there and tell the police that there's a 911 call online here. Uh, begging you to come in there there are uh, all the uh, there are hundreds or, or not hundreds there are dozens of kids killed they're still bleeding out some of them some of them could be saved uh, if somebody had handed it the message over uh it, the uh, 77 minutes could have been reduced to maybe 20 and that that would be uh, uh that would be unmercifully long uh time to wait anyway but 77 minutes uh, of course, the heart's beating for 77 minutes with blood flowing out of the body. That's an impossibility. See, maybe maybe I miss this, but uh, is the chief or the commissioner of Vivaldi's police uh, department still in power? No. Okay. All right. I did miss that. I, I was going to say that would be the biggest disgrace. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I didn't comment on what happened uh, uh, afterwards. Yes, he was blamed for uh, not taking charge. And, of course, he tried to weasel out of that uh, by saying he wasn't, I think he said he wasn't in the building, but I'm not sure. I, I may be yeah. wrong about that. You know, I don't even know where to start. I mean, first of all, Chloe, a uh, heroic figure in, uh, in, in anyone's book, right? I mean, just uh, amazing for her to have the, uh, the courage to wipe blood on herself to uh, to make it look yes. like she she had been shot. Um, just uh, you know, you, you never know um, how uh, the human being is going to uh, is going to uh, operate under fire. And I'm and in this case, uh, you know, we're not using it loosely. We're using it literally how they perform and how the police underperformed. How the governor. And his staff completely blew it, uh, you know, to, you know, to, uh, you know, give any kind of encouragement that that was some kind of proper response that the cops had given is just ridiculous. And and for him to be that ill-informed uh, and for him not to go back and, and retrace his steps and, and man up, really, I mean, uh, you know, we're talking about Texas here, you know tough guy texas for him to man up and say hey you know what i misspoke i mean uh, that was a terrible terrible job i'm going to look into this we're going to investigate what happened here and just uh, you know the, everybody'd be on your side that's not being anti police that's that's calling you know calling it what it is and and calling the um you, you know calling uh, the shot exactly uh, the way you see it uh, the other thing is is you know you wonder why it wasn't mentioned, right, in the, uh, it, you know, in the documentary. And, and I always say, you know, follow the money. And is there, is there a situation um, where sponsors are involved? And did the sponsors say, hold off on that part? I mean, do you, you, you have any idea who the sponsors were of the documentary? Uh I should have taken that down, and I didn't. Yeah, that's okay. But, um, no, but I, I don't know who they were, but but that uh, that doesn't make much sense because, after all, this is uh, this is actually a part of the events of the day that the a child, 
a 10-year-old child who was in the room with with the shooter, whispering into um, into her phone, uh, giving information Amazing. Uh, that would have been valuable to uh, to, to the uh, police trying to stop it. But they they kept saying that it was a uh, barricaded uh, barricaded not shooter, but barricaded suspect. Um, uh, so that and that he was alone in the room. <laughs> so uh, that was their excuse that they uh, they continued to believe that because uh, uh, the initial report had been of a uh, pickup speeding and wrecking. Apparently, the 18-year-old didn't know how to drive, and so he drove off into an irrigation ditch um, near the school, and uh, then uh, was well enough, uninjured enough, to go on in and kill people, uh, as he had been planning for months, probably, as he waited to turn 18, because he bought the uh, a uh, the AR-15 uh, the day he was his birthday present to himself was that uh, that murder weapon. You know. Here's here's another thing that comes uh, to mind is that when Bowling for Columbine, which I thought was a brilliant uh, documentary, uh, disturbing but brilliant, and that was Michael Moore, uh, if you remember that. Do you remember Bowling for Columbine, the uh, documentary? Yes. Now, when, when Columbine happened, uh, we all heard about it, and, I mean, it was big news. It was big news for a long time, and the reason it was big news is because it was a, depart a departure from the norm. It was disturbing. It was everything. Uh, the reason that Columbine, if it was to happen today, it would be a blip on the radar screen is because uh, there's so many mass shootings going on. Yes. And I, I just, um, I, I, I just want to point out that Columbine probably was a starting point for mm. uh, for all of these mass shootings, and I think. Uh, Charlton Heston, who I thought was a terrific actor, but boy, he was uh, uh, he was made to look a fool in that um, in, in that documentary, and he just didn't have any answer whatsoever um, for uh, for what had happened there, and he wouldn't criticize, he wouldn't he wouldn't have an intelligent conversation uh, with it, and he just came across to me like uh, like a stooge. Uh, Charlton Heston, I lost a lot of respect for him. At that point, at the time, of course, he was the the head of the NRA, and I, look, I, I'm not anti-gun per se. I, I think people should have, uh, you know, have guns if they if they pass a background check and they, uh, and and they're uh, mentally capable and of age. Uh, I I don't know who the hell uh, thinks it's okay to have a an AK-47. You don't need a, an AK-47 to to shoot a deer if that's what your your thing is you don't need an ak-47 to defend yourself unless you live in downtown uh palestine you know or and and uh you know somewhere in a war zone um these are these are weapons of of war these are uh, you know these things that we're talking about and uh you know the the fact that all of this is happening all of this is happening and we don't seem to be uh, getting any better, any closer to to solving any of this. Um, it, it just it it just is is mind blowing. And again, I don't know exactly I don't know exactly where to start uh, because 
you know, and I don't know who said it in ancient Greece, but there was a there was a quote when they said the problem with asking questions is that once you begin, it's very difficult to know when to stop. And when exactly do you stop? Pretty soon you'll be questioning the gods themselves. And I, I don't know, I'm paraphrasing and I don't know who said said that, but it's it's the same thing here when we when we talk about what you've just laid out for us. And it's, uh, you know, everything about this is just screams incompetence. Um, it, it screams we're looking the other way. We're sticking our head in the sand on the on the gun control issue. And and again, that you have a a horrendous governor. Your governor is just somebody that um, that uh, does whatever he needs to do to keep his constituency happy. And it's only his constituency. And if it if it goes anywhere near, and again, I, I'm not, you know, I, I'm I'm not a bleeding heart liberal, so to speak. I'm an independent. I, I've always been an independent. So it's not like I'm anti-Republican or I'm anti-Democrat. You know, I'm I'm down the middle. Uh, but I, I don't know how Greg Abbott could look himself in the uh, in the mirror uh, when things like this happen, and he just won't. He refuses to question any of this. I mean, somewhere along the line, um, you, you know, like uh, somebody's conscience conscience uh, would say enough is enough. And how do we? You know, how do we go about making this better or at least open up the dialogue uh, to, yes. to make this better? And he just won't. I, I mean, maybe well, what happened? Yeah. Uh, what happened was the man uh, has had been misinformed. He had not found he he came in response to the mass shooting on the same day, I believe, or the day after uh, and praised the police for their rapid response to um, to the shooter um, and uh, obviously betraying the fact that he hadn't been told the truth about it uh, and then when he was informed he did apologize but I think from a distance yeah and he never went back to Uvalde um, now Biden would have been there he would have been there the minute he found out that he had misspoken he would have come back to apologize in person, and he would have been hugging and and consoling the people, uh, because he has had plenty of experience in losing loved ones, and so he knows how it feels. Uh, but Abbott, obviously, uh, he simply missed the boat and uh, and never even considered uh, the feelings of the people that. Uh, uh, that he, in in a sense, insulted with with his uh, total misreading of the situation. But anyway, um, that's that is the governor, and that is his personality, and uh, and we're stuck with him. <laughs> so. He came, he swore, and he completely misread. It's yeah. basically what happened, and um, yeah, it just uh, you know, amazing to me. And but, you know, the documentary and again, I go back to follow the money. Um, what and again, maybe I, I missed it, but the documentary, uh, what, what was the biggest omissions of the documentary? Uh, the biggest omission was the, that 911 call from Chloe. As far as I know now, I have not seen the documentary. I'm assuming since um, since uh, Garcia. 
the commentator wrote about it, uh, he would have mentioned it. Uh, he wanted to make the point that if, uh, that the the officers could be excused because they were terrified, and that is a human feeling, and so everybody uh, would feel the same way, and so on and so forth. But he did not mention, and he he went through the events um, as presented by the uh, documentary. Now he may not have. Uh, uh, wanted to get into the uh, the 911 call from Chloe, but to me that is one of the most important elements of it, and it it makes the police look all the worse because they did not respond to the 911 call from a little girl who was actually confronting the shooter. She was right there, covered in blood, uh, to make him think she was dead. Uh, so. Uh, she she is truly the hero of the story, and uh, no mention. And that's what uh, struck me as being weird about uh, 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 Garcia's report or commentary. Well, it doesn't make. And, here's the thing: it doesn't make the cops look good because she was. She's clearly there. She's uh, you know they. Uh, she's giving a, a blow by blow or as close as you can, under those circumstances. And uh, so it, it's basically uh, the the filmmaker is is protecting the police at all costs, right? Well, maybe. Um, uh, I think it was Garcia who was saying, uh, not the filmmaker, but the no. Garcia oh, I'm sorry. Saying, no, no. The uh, Garcia is the the reporter is is protecting the police at all costs, saying that you yeah. fear you right. So yeah, he's. Yeah. He is protecting the the police at all costs, so uh, his we know where his sympathies are. By the way, I am very pro police. You know, I'm pro law enforcement yes, or whatever. But when yeah. they when they misperform, how could you not how could you not talk about it? You know, I'm uh, yeah. you know I'm I'm pro a lot of things, but uh, you know when uh, if if you're going to write about something and you gotta you you have to be honest about it. And yeah, we understand you know fear. We understand. Uh, whatever, but I mean, to give them a complete pass on it, that was one of the you know worst performances that one could imagine. I mean, people died because of how poorly they managed the situation, or didn't yeah. react to it. Yes, uh, we Children don't even died. know how many Children people died. could have been saved. Um, yeah, that's that's of course true. Well, it's just it's disturbing. It's uh, it, it's a great point that you make here and uh but it, it's just it's disturbing and uh the fact that the governor hasn't been back to uvalde is uh uvalde is still uh, hasn't yeah still hasn't after after a, a full a full year and more uh, uh he has not bothered to go back to uvalde on uh, on any count and yet uh, there are pro-gun people in uvalde too uh, who are still pro-gun, and uh, they, I think the problem really uh, is that there is a faction in the right wing and among right wing Trump supporting Republicans that believes that the government is plotting against the people. The government stole the last election. They still believe that. Gosh. Uh, and it will come in in black helicopters and black uniforms and black uh, 
uh, boots uh, to to grab the guns away from them and uh, and make victims of them slaves or something, and therefore they need uh, weapons of war to defend against the government. Um, and I think that is such an item of uh, faith for these people that there's no talking to them. And so that's uh, that's why they are so adamant and why they have paralyzed half of our government or one-third of our government. Amazing. Uh, just uh, amazing. Well, Doc, great job on, on all of this. As always, wonderful job and um, we need to, uh, yeah, we need to keep calling people out on this. Uh, I just, uh, you know, it, it's, it, you know, every once in a while you're at a loss for words. Uh, I've got a million right. questions, but at the same time, uh, I, you know, they're not rhetorical questions. <laughs> they're not all rhetorical. They're, they're, uh, questions that need discussion and, uh, and, you know, uh, questions that need response and, uh, you know, to call out Albert. Abbott on, on not going back to Uvalde, is uh, is seems senseless because he's as long as he won his election, which he did, right? Subsequently, won, uh, you know, won his election after Uvalde, right? That that happened yes, prior to there, yes. and he won handily, and he beat a serious candidate. You know, it's not like yes, he, he beat did. some schlep. Uh, he he beat uh, Beto O'Rourke, and um, and uh, and handily, I, I should say. And after butchering things like this, you know what that tells him and his handlers? You, you, you handled it well, right? You know, if you would have handled it differently, maybe it would have blow up and maybe whatever. So um, that's just teaching Greg Abbott and others, you know, like if, if you could avoid a, uh, a situation, avoid it. Just uh, if it's uncomfortable, mm -hmm. avoid it. Anyway, Doc, uh, great job as always. Do you have a final word for us? Oh. <laughs> uh, I have many. That's the problem. Too many uh, about guns. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, a hunter uh, should have a good rifle. Uh, a single shot or possibly a double shot. I don't know how many would um, be in the magazine, but, uh, but in any case, uh, a rifle that would not tear the... Uh, the uh, into little shrubs, which which these uh, weapons of war do. Yeah, which you couldn't eat anyway. Little, you couldn't eat the meat. Well, you couldn't eat it. That's right. Uh, and and it did precisely that to the bodies these little children, to the point where one little girl was so torn up that her parents had to recognize her from the sneakers she was wearing. Oh God! Oh God! I can't even imagine. Anyway. Well, Doc, thank you very much for all of this and uh, disturbing, but great job as always. And um, and to everyone out there um, who's celebrating, happy Hanukkah, right? We're in the midst of Hanukkah or just about done with uh, with Hanukkah. And so happy Hanukkah to everyone listening. Uh, Frank McKay signing off. Uh, we'll see you next time on the Florence Weinberg Show. <laughs>